I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to the Times Business Podcast, where we look ahead to news that will be moving markets over the coming days. I'm Robert Miller. This week, that means a once great British bank that has lost its way and in the process cost its shareholders dear. A commodity company and trader that had aspirations to be the biggest and best, but came unstuck. And finally... Five years ago, we came into office with one task that frankly ranked above all of the others. And that was to help engineer a private sector revival and get Britain back to living within its means again. That was the Prime Minister, if you hadn't guessed already. We ask our enterprise editor whether he really is supporting Britain's army of small and medium-sized enterprises. I'm joined by Catherine Griffiths, the banking editor of The Times, Marcus LaRue, our industrial correspondent, and James Hurley, the enterprise editor of The Times. Welcome to you all. Thanks for being here. Catherine Barclays, let's start with you. We said it was a once great British bank. Cost its shareholders a lot of money. Is it going to be any better news this time round? I don't think it's going to be better news, but it's certainly going to be interesting news when Barclays reports results on Tuesday. Um, It's the first time that Jess Daly, the new American chief executive, will have a proper chance to lay out some kind of vision for the bank. And certainly there's a lot of expectation that he will he will do that. Um, Some of the themes are are age old and frankly, people are already tired of them. So that's an underperforming investment bank. Jess Daly will probably reiterate that he he's committed to keep the investment bank there are certainly some people who think he shouldn't he should spin it off um, and then there are other bits of the bank which are probably going to tick along quite well that's the retail bank and the Barclay card business but he he really Jess Daly really does have to sort of set a new tone and one of the things he's likely to do is to say that they will look for credible buyers for the African business and if they can pull that off, um, that will free up some money that they can plough into other areas. Jess Daly's got a big asset management background and that's probably somewhere that he would want to invest. Is it unfair to think of it that each time a bank gets into problem, and it's usually once a decade, it's the retail customers who end up bailing them out? I'm thinking of the bad Latin American loans of different banks. This time it's Barclay Card, as you said, and the retail arm supporting the less profitable at this time anyway investment bank is that a good banking model do you think it's a really tough question some people believe very firmly that universal banking is a good thing because it balances different kinds of risks and so certainly Barclays believes that and HSBC believes that and in the past we have seen times when investment banks have made mega profits that have helped more sluggish growth on the retail banking side the big question with with investment banking is is it in a structural demise or is it cyclical and if you think it's structural then you need to make big 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 changes and if you think it's cyclical then you ride it out. James 
one group of customers who are particularly unhappy is not just the consumers, but the very small businesses who've been missold financial products by Barclays over the years. And also you hear lots of complaints about companies not being able to get credit. Catherine, do you get a sense that Barclays are changing the way they approach small businesses? Are they looking to lend? Do you think they're mending their reputation? I think they are looking to lend. I think all of the big banks want to lend to creditworthy customers. I think one of the problems is the lack of appetite for loans, of course, because on the business side and on the on the personal side, there's a desire to still to kind of pay down debt. As for whether they're changing their practices, as you say, they have got embroiled in all sorts of scandals and I think they have had their fingers well and truly burned. But I'm just not sure we've really seen that they they and others have fundamentally changed their practices. I think what it really comes down to is motivation and where you've seen some of these problems in the past it's because they haven't made legitimate profits um, in areas because they haven't charged the right amount for, for products. I'm thinking about current accounts for example and that's forced the banks into selling some really bad products to, to make profits and I think that's the thing they have to do differently in the future. Marcus. I was just interested in what you said about the African business. I mean, obviously, Bob Diamond's waltzed off into the, the, the sunset and has done lots of Africa-focused business with his, his new uh, vehicle. Yeah. I mean, how much was, was the African business a legacy of Bob, or was it something that was entirely predating him? It predated him, and it's actually a really good business, and some people think it's insane for Barclays to sell it because, of course, Africa is going to be a fantastic market. But the problem is that they have to... They have to cut their cloth, so they have to decide whether they can keep Africa now or whether they need to generate some capital from that and and deploy it elsewhere. And I think one of the problems banks face with Africa is is the kind of uncontrollable risks. The kind of some of these markets that you know they've they've had so many sort of nightmares with breaching regulations and, and particularly if they fall on the wrong side of American authorities and of course American authorities you know if they choose to their their reach goes overseas and I think banks are just, re- they just Africa in a sense is just one headache that they don't necessarily want at the moment. You mentioned before there about well you know charging the right price for the right products is it your view that looking across all the banks that sooner rather than later there is going to be an end to free banking they are going to have to price it and we're going to have to pay like most people on the continent do pay for your current accounts Catherine I think I think it's you know one of the one of the most key questions for banks in this country and what we're really waiting for is the Competition and Markets Authority to rule on this matter which will come in the next month or two and so one thing they could do is to say there needs to be an end to free banking, free in free in credit current accounts. It looks like they were not going to go down that path and everyone got very angry with their interim report before Christmas, which sort of was a real damp squib. But since then, there's been lots and lots of lobbying from challenger banks and others. So it's a possibility, but none of the banks at the moment will go first because they know they'll get killed because if they start to put a put a cost on a current account people will move to another bank so it needs to be a sort of imposed um, change heaven forfend that they should all act in concert but i guarantee once one does it they'll all go won't they all right catherine well thank you for that Uh Marcus Glencore, we said, uh, in a way, a bit like Barclays, only a younger version. It wanted to be the biggest and the best in, in commodities and, and, and trading as well. It's spectacularly come unstuck, hasn't it? Any good news this time? The good news for them is that quite possibly the bad news has already happened. What we've seen since Glencore went into meltdown 
late last summer was um, a, um, a big slide in commodity prices across the board and the, the, the waters that were lapping at, at, at Glencore's shores have now hit the, the kind of the, the, the safer houses like, like BHP Billiton and Rio Tinto. Um, so they've already promised to behave themselves and cut their debt from 30-odd billion dollars to 20-odd billion dollars, sell things, do kind of short-term cash deals where they sell forward um, gold byproducts from copper mines. They've put a couple of copper mines on the on, on the block and got a few um, ticks in the boxes from shareholders for doing the right things and doing them really quickly and ruthlessly in a way that maybe some of the other miners haven't. So it is possible that having made the painful write-downs on its oil business and so on, that, that, that it got all of the bad news out of the way a few months ago. And that means that there may be actually... You know that they're out of the out of the woods, and that um, that uh, it's a bit of a slog to to actually do a lot of the things they've promised. But the the road ahead is clear, and there's maybe a, a chink of light at the end of the tunnel. That's but not that, too mixed a metaphor. But that that amount of money, that debt, is that from the banks that Catherine covers, or is it is it just investors who who've taken a punt on them? Well, it's it's dozens and dozens of of, of banks, um, and obviously what you've seen is a is a lot of volatility in how that debt has been you know has has been trading along with their their credit worthiness, that their their credit default swaps, which is basically a, an insurance against their their failure or their default, shot up to to you know sort of nine ten percent and. They've settled back down again as 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 people you know have have begun to calm down about what might happen. The issue with Glencore basically is 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 because of the trading arm. Um, so unlike um, other miners, it has this enormous trading arm where they they uh, buy and sell and move you know everything from coal to, to to copper and grain and all sorts of things. That was probably a slightly misunderstood part of the business, and so there was a kind of always been this black box idea with Glencore that people were a little bit suspicious of how dependent on um, letters of credit from banks and therefore um, credit ratings it was. And Glencore actually helped to perpetuate this idea that they needed an investment grade credit rating or a, a triple A rating. So people naturally assumed that because the, the trading arm was debt funded, uh, that it needed that it needed this top rating um, of, of uh, credit from the credit rating agencies. In actual fact, because the, 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 the loans that, that back the, the trading business are so short term, it, it wasn't that dependent in a direct way on, 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 on credit ratings. Um, but they'd got themselves into this mess where people misunderstood the business and that meant that that, that spiral of bad news in the autumn uh, was difficult to break out of. Would you buy the shares? Would I buy the shares? Crikey. Um, on a price point of view, it's, a, it's probably a good time to have a look. That's all I'm saying. No, very wise, very wise indeed. Thanks for that, Marcus. Finally, the British Chambers of Commerce gather for their annual conference. This is what the Prime Minister had to say last year. There are too many fast-growing businesses that still find it hard to access finance. We need to think strategically about helping those small firms over the valley of death funding gap so they can become medium-sized firms, and then the medium firms can become larger ones. James Hurley, the Times Enterprise editor, is here. Welcome, James. 
Has the Prime Minister done what he said? Well, the scheme that he was referring to there is called Help to Grow, and the idea was that the British Business Bank, which of course is a state institution, would lend off its own balance sheets to third-party providers who then provide money to small and medium-sized companies. Now, unfortunately, this thing hasn't even launched yet. We're still at the stage where these, where the providers are putting their pitches in for money. Whether it will get off the ground or not, I don't know. It's important to say it's quite a small scheme. It's £100 million. The broader question for me is what's going on with government business support. I've had quite a chequered history, I think, over the last sort of 12, 18 months. The Prime Minister was talking about medium-sized companies. The government actually scrapped um, two of its flagship schemes for medium-sized companies, and a lot of people, particularly manufacturers, were very upset about this. Um, it seems to me that our current business secretary, um, Savid Javid, is not a fan of public sector support schemes, and his view is that the private sector should be delivering this stuff. Lots of companies would disagree, I, I think. Uh, from a broader point of view, are companies happy with with the government? I think possibly from a macro point of view. The mass, actually, the, a lot of businesses aren't even aware of state business support at all. Um, and well, that's what I was going to ask. I mean, organisations like the British Chambers of Commerce, they do exist for a reason, don't they? And are they, would you say, to, to, to some entre entrepreneurs listening... Is it a good starting point, the BCC? They do a good job overseas. I mean, some people think, I think Lord Heseltine actually had quite a strong view on this recently in his report on localism around the country. If you compare the British Chambers of Commerce with their international rivals, so for example the German Chamber of Commerce, they're a lot weaker actually in providing international trade supports. But the British Chambers have certainly put a lot of effort into that recently. And I think they should get some credit as well for being a loud voice for supporting the state British Business Bank which I think was making some good progress until the uh, change in the business secretary recently. And now that as well is shrouded in uncertainty. Catherine, I suppose local businesses, uh, business enterprises, banks, apple pie and motherhood. But what's the reality? I know the banks pay lip service to it, but are they really committed to business in the way that James and his readers would like to see? I think they are committed to lending to small businesses, definitely. But it's quite a risky area that I can't remember the stat, but banks lose a lot of money on lending to small businesses because obviously a lot of them fail. We're, we're quite a long way after the crisis now and banks are very well capitalised. I think we're certainly seeing them lend, but I'm sure James would have a much better perspective than I do. But it seems, it seems what's really holding back lending is the lack of desire for credit. James? I think there's absolutely a lot of truth in that. It's important to say the scheme that the Prime Minister was referring to there, and he used the phrase valley of death, didn't he? And he was referring to equity funding there, which has been a long-term weakness in Britain's, the structure of Britain's economy, really, in terms of small and medium-sized businesses. But actually, ironically, given that his scheme hasn't even launched yet, equity finance is in a, probably the healthiest state it's been in for a long, long time. There's record levels of venture capital investment. And as Catherine was saying on debt, I think it's very true that there's a lack of demand for money and it's often a point that's missed actually banks don't lend money to small businesses at all small businesses lend money to banks i think i think the stat is that for every pound that is lent to small companies banks have two pounds on deposit from small and medium-sized companies which i think 
provides quite an interesting picture of of where the truth lies. And I think that plays into the exports drive that the government and the British Chamber of Commerce are trying to inspire. Just there isn't the demand to get out at the moment, and there isn't the demand for capital. All right, thank you very much indeed, James. And don't forget, James will be covering that conference live, so do follow him on his tweets and blogs. And of course, don't forget in the paper too. That's just about it for now. But remember, you can keep up to date with all the latest results as they happen and the news on our website. And if you are a Times subscriber, you can sign up to our daily morning and lunchtime emails. If you don't have a subscription, we still have that special £1 offer. So take advantage of it by going to thetimes.co.uk. And if you want to hear us weekly, you can subscribe through iTunes. My thanks, of course, to Catherine Griffiths, Marcus LaRue and James Hurley. They're all on Twitter, so please do follow them. We'll be back next week. Thanks for listening. Thank you for downloading. To discover more, head to thetimes.co.uk.